everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. I enjoyed it. Anybody enjoy Thanksgiving? Yeah. You know, actually, Thanksgiving is my favorite of the holiday holidays, right? And so, uh, not just because of the food and watching the lions lose. Um, it's just it's just because you know it doesn't have all the the overhead, and uh, and it's just a good time. It's good to be thankful. And so, I hope you're thankful. I hope your heart's full this morning. And, uh, you know, also I know at a time like this, there's a lot of folks that could be uh, down. And, uh, and by the way, if you don't have a handout, raise your hand. I see Lance scouting around. There's some folks. If you need one, just raise your hand. They'll try not to embarrass you. They'll run one by. There's some in the back, so they'll make sure to get one to you. Just make sure you keep your hand up until they get to you. Thank you for your patience with me and us. So some folks, you know, are obviously, uh, we know, we're even in our church family, right, there's folks that... Uh, that aren't with us. But isn't it good to know that the folks that, uh, hopefully the folks that you know that aren't with you, whether it's a relative or what have you, maybe have gone on and you're spending the holidays without them. It's so different when you know that they're saved, isn't it? When you know that there's eternal life, it just there's just something about that peace that passes understanding, that knowledge that God gives us. And this morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, be turning there. And I should have made you stay standing instead of sit down. So uh, we're going to read the text here in just a moment together, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So, uh, <clears throat> so it's wonderful um, to have the assurance of eternal life. And this morning I'm going to speak to you about the confidence of eternal life, the confidence of eternal life. And so if you have your Bibles, be looking in 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have one, and uh, you, can, you should be able to find one around you in the seat rack or near you or ask somebody, hey, give me a Bible. There's one in the seat rack somewhere near you, and you can be turning to page 1,634 or start in the back at Revelation if you're not used to the Bible and you can flip forward. It's the fourth book in. It's really small, and uh, get to the last chapter right before Second John. Uh, so let me ask you a question. If you died today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Amen. A lot of you are affirmative, amen, yes, I know where I spend eternity. Maybe this morning you're like, uh, I'm not sure. Well, hey, then we need to help you with that. You can know and be assured of your salvation. And uh, by all the amens and the yeses and the, and the affirmative yeses, you know that. So let me ask this question a different way. Um, <clears throat> if you die today, you, you do know where you'd spend eternity. So um, if, you, if you said yes to that question, could you tell me why? Why would you spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a lot of people in our country that if you ask them that question, if you die today, do you know where you spend eternity? They say, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Well, why? How? Right? What do you know that can reinforce that? Is that just how you feel about it? Or is that, is that, an, is that empirical evidence? Where is the facts on that? And I'm not trying to make anybody, you know, be in jeopardy right now, but that's a good question. Are, are you trusting What? To be saved. You trusting Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I hope so, because that's the only way to be saved. That's the simple answer. And in this crowd, uh, you know, most of you know that's the right answer, right? Even in church, though, sometimes kids grow up and they know the right answers, right? Every answer is Jesus, Jesus. But have we really put our faith in and on the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I trust everybody here that said yes has, so I'm not trying to question that but sometimes people look for an experience i'm saved because you know the sky opened up and a big light shone and i know i'm saved you know joseph smith had weird experiences and i don't think he was saved right so are you trusting an experience right or, or maybe there's always another popular one. well i've always been a christian right i've always been a christian but somewhere, maybe in the, in the sense of in your life, you haven't come to what the, the, the clarity of what the Bible says about what it is important to be saved is that you have to be clear that you're lost, right? So technically, you're not always a Christian. Now, you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have been exposed to Christian language. But just being in the Christian environment, knowing the language, because there's definitely a different culture in the church. You know, when I got saved and showed up, you know, singing Running with the Devil and had my Van Halen greatest hits running through my head, I like showed up and we're singing hymns. I'm like, wow, what is this? And what is this language, this amen and this uh, brother, brother, what? You know, I, I never heard that stuff before. And so, you know, now I do all that stuff and I would laugh at myself if I was my, you know, I, you just, it just becomes part of your, 
your nature, your culture. It doesn't make me saved, though, because I've learned the language and I understand the terminology. I was saved before I understood the culture, before I understood the language, before I knew how to act properly among the body of Christ, right? I was already saved. Why? How did I know I was saved? Uh, what was I trusting in? Was it a set of circumstances? Now, I will say circumstances definitely oftentimes play into a point of decision where you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So sometimes it is a circumstance in your life that reminds you of what brought you to a place of contrition, a humility, where you were able to trust or willing to trust Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone as Lord and Savior. Uh, and so, you know, when you think about it in those terms and you say, yeah, I'm saved, well, well, well good, because someone should be able to say, great, tell me about it. What is it like to be saved? When did you get saved? Now, you don't necessarily know the day or the hour, but when did you come to that point in your life where you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You know, some people like myself, I got radically saved in a moment in time. I knew when I can tell you when I got saved, the moment I got saved. Not everybody's like that. Right? You don't have to have my testimony, and I don't have to have yours. There are people that learn, and they understand, and they grow in their learning and knowledge of Christ. But at some point, they come to the place where they say, you know what, I'm placing my faith in what the Bible says about my sin, but also about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And at some place, you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. All right, so, so what are we trusting now, ultimately, as we wrap up chapter 5 here, uh, John is leading us to the, in the 20th verse. He's going to show us that Jesus Christ is equal. If this was an equation, if this was algebra, Jesus Christ equals eternal life. Jesus Christ equals eternal life. Either you have him or you don't. Either you've placed your faith in him and on him or you haven't. And so we witness the evidence already as we looked earlier at the chapter in chapter 5. We have the witness and now John's going to leave us with the confidence. Because when you leave here today, you need to be confident in your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, the fact that you're saved, and also the fact that you know how to pray and share him in a, with a sanctified life. So let's do this. Let's look at the, the text. First John chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Although I, I've already covered verse 12, I'm going to pick it back up again. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I see some of us are getting chilly. We were hot, now we're cold. It's better than lukewarm. So praise God. Uh, so praise the Lord. First John 5, verse 12, and honor God's word. Our last read through, the, through uh, First John. If you've been with me through this series, now you have read through the entire book of First John. So praise the Lord. First John chapter 5, verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if, any, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Verse 15, And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man say, or see, I'm sorry, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Verse 20. And we know, not hope, guess, or, or might know, we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from the Apostle John, uh, preserved for us these many years to the last days of the church age. We thank you so much for the opportunity to read them to apply them to our heart, to understand them. Lord, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us understanding of who he is. Thank you for giving us the assurance of eternal life, which is through Jesus Christ, the son. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word this morning. We pray a blessing upon it as we learn about what it is you have us to learn about your uh, having confidence in salvation, intercession, and sanctification. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at the text, we're just going to bite this off a verse at a time. And very clearly in verses 12 and 13, we see that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. This is the second time you see the word know in the text, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I should say in chapter 5, the first time you see know is in verse 2 of chapter 5. It is uh, in, the, in there several times throughout the book. So the word gives us confidence in our salvation. So to answer the, the, the previous question of my introduction, how do you really know that you're saved? How do you really have confidence in eternal life? Well, you have the word of God. You have the word of God. John has left this record. He says, I've written these things unto you uh, that believe, right? These are the things I have given you. These things have I written unto you that believe. These are for believers that you might know, because even believers come to places of doubt. If you're born again, like I had a radical experience when I got saved, that does not mean I was always sure of my salvation. Ultimately, it's not your experience. It's not what happens the moment you get saved. That is, wow, that was wild. That was It's actually the Word of God itself. I had to change life. That does, even though that's important, that's, that is an outward evidence of, uh, of God saving someone, is a changed life. That's, that's the evidence of repentance. So I don't want to minimize that. But at the end of the day, in my own heart, that wasn't enough to give me assurance. It was for a day. It was for a month. It was for several months. All of that stuff really, the Holy Ghost bore witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. I'm just using my testimony. But it was, once I got involved in spiritual warfare, and once questions started coming about what I believed about the Bible, when other people who said they believed the Bible brought the Bible and started questioning my belief in, in, in this very issue, who God was and how are you saved, man, all of a sudden, all my confidence started getting shaky. And it was actually verses 12 and 13 of this very text that God drew me back to through discipleship, verses I already had memorized, but it, my heart wasn't resting in them until I came back around and God said, Brian, go back to where you started. Reread, this, the, you know, reread what you have been trusting. And then God said, Brian, here's, here's the key. If you want to have confidence in eternal life, you're going to have to trust my word. You're going to have to rest on what I've said. I wrote this to you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life because I already knew you were going to question it. I'm like, oh, man, thank you, Lord. I needed that. I could have had a V8, but instead I got something better. And so uh, that's for old people. To, remember those commercials? That's like the 70s, you know, when I was a little kid at, at daycare. So, um, and so, man, I, so the word of God is all you need. It is not only just all you need, it is more than enough. If you really want to know if you're saved or not, then check your birth certificate. It is the word of God. So point A, because the word is certain, our salvation is certain. Right? The word gives us confidence in our salvation. Because the word is certain, our salvation is certain. Very clearly, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Uh, there doesn't need to be a lot of exposition on that. You either have him or you don't. In this church age, you either have salvation or you don't. <clears throat> you cannot earn salvation, therefore you cannot lose it, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of you know this verse, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God gives us the grace uh, to understand, believe the gospel, and we get saved by grace through faith. Galatians 2, 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's nothing you do to earn it, not even keeping all the rules is enough because we all fall short, Romans 3.23. So our righteousness in Christ doesn't come from what we do. It comes from what Christ did on the cross. So salvation is a gift, and it's a gift that you either possess or you reject. You either obtain it or you reject it. Romans 3.23, a very familiar passage, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reason we get excited about Christmas is that, the, that Jesus Christ was incarnated, right? He became, God became man. But it wasn't just that he became man. It was that he came to die on the cross for our sins. And we have that reckoning and understanding that Jesus Christ, the God of this world, came to be a gift, right? He gave his life for us so that we could be saved. So you either have been born again or you have not been born again, right? That's the truth of the matter. You cannot lose your salvation once you've believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the other side of this coin. The, the, the devil kind of messes with your head sometimes. Well, I know I got saved, but I think I lost it. Why? Well, usually because you don't feel good about it. 
uh, or some circumstances that have changed since you trusted Christ. Okay, well, how do you deal with that? Well, you deal with that with the Word of God. What does the Bible say about salvation? That's what's important. And so that's what we put our faith in. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I know this is elementary for many, but it's also, it doesn't matter how elementary it is if it's everything you need to be solid and stand there for in a spiritual battle, right? It's, it's what you got to have, right? It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be some new thing. It is what the Bible teaches. So these things are written for our assurance. They're written for our assurance. First John 5, 13, once again, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So John has written this epistle to those who have believed, so they may know with assurance they have believed on the name of the Son of God. So the word know, by the way, is found 27 times in the book of 1 John. And uh, as it's uh, mentioned as many times as you have books in the New Testament. So it's easy to remember the number. But the word know is also mentioned eight times in this chapter. I pointed out the first one in verse uh, 2, the second one in verse 13, and then the third and fourth are found in verse 15, which we'll get to here in just a moment. But the word, the word point B, contains the things we need to be assured of, <clears throat> need to be assured of our salvation. So in 1 John, we learn the following things that give us assurance of salvation. And this is just a review of some of the things that we know from 1 John. Since we spent our time in 1 John, just kind of a recap, we have the knowledge, right? We know uh, of Jesus' deity. I mean, from the opening pages, right? Uh, uh, John is talking about how they have walked with Jesus. They have handled Jesus. He is the capital W, personal pronoun, word of God. We also have the knowledge of Jesus' humanity. (coughs) Excuse me. From the opening pages, we see that Jesus dwelled with his disciples in the flesh, right? And we also have the knowledge of Jesus' deity. Um, in, uh, in verse 7 of chapter 5, we saw that last, t- last time we were in chapter 5, and we saw that Jesus Christ, very, the most clear verse in the whole Bible, or one of the clearest verses, is found in verse 7. These three are one, the, the Word, uh, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And so we also have the knowledge of our depravity, right? John 3.14 makes it clear that we don't have, if we don't love our brother, well, then guess what? Jesus doesn't abide in us. Love is, a, is definitely, uh, you know, it's the first thing listed in the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love before joy and peace and long-suffering, all that. Love is an attribute of having the Spirit of God in you. And, and so we know that if we're, if we're void of love for God, it's, it's going to be evidence because we don't love people. And then <clears throat> the knowledge of God's uh, love and forgiveness is also found there. We also know 1 John 1, 9, very familiar to most of us. We can ask for forgiveness, and he will give it. Not for our sakes, but because of Jesus' sake. And the knowledge of our relationship with God is found there. We talked about that father-son relationship, John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And then we've seen the knowledge that we need to prepare uh, for the judgment seat of Christ. We spent a lot of time just rotating around that principle in 1 John 2, 28, that we need to be ready uh, to be at the judgment seat of Christ and prepared for that. And lastly, which is the last one I'm going to point out, the eighth one, is the knowledge of our assurance of salvation. And that's what we're talking about this morning in these two verses, most uh, particularly in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. So the word itself contains the things. The reason that John wrote these things was so that, that, that we would have the written record. It was God uh, preserving in, in writing for us, and especially in these days, that we have the assurance uh, of, his, of, of what it is to have eternal life, among many other uh, things that we need to know about God, because if you're going to love God, you've got to know Him, right? You're going to you're going to know Him. As He wraps up this chapter the, in verse 20, there's an intimacy that's that's implied there. Uh, that is when you know somebody very closely. These things are written not just so you have head knowledge of God, but so you can know Him. You can have a relationship. You can have that assurance of salvation. Okay, so uh, God is good for His word. That's another thing is His character matches his word. God is good for his word. John is writing uh, this to those who believe so that they might know because he understands the days of doubt will come. The word of God is the place you go to remember the record of your new birth and your DNA as a son of God through the new birth. And I think I've illustrated that sufficiently. But just, just to kind of remind you of what you and I trust when we get saved, notice that John is writing to those who believe not just in, but it particularly says on the name of the Son of God. 
He, those that believe on the name of the Son of God. And there's nothing wrong with believing in Jesus, by the way. Uh, we believe in a lot of things. It's good to believe in Jesus. Uh, a lot of people believe in a lot of different things. We believe not just in Jesus, but we believe on Jesus, on something that we're placing our faith in, right? And so Jesus isn't a thing. He's a person. So notice how uh, both believing in and believing on is used in Romans chapter 10. So if you go back to Romans 10, just real quick, you guys, many of you may know these verses. It's interesting that both believing in and on are, are used there in Romans chapter 10 and verse uh, 9 through 11. A very familiar passage when we're leading someone to Christ. This is where we often take them. It says in verse 9, But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt believe, or thou shalt be saved, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and so having a belief in you is important, right? That you're believing in Jesus Christ in your heart. But he goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then he says this in verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so you can see that both there's a belief in and a belief on. And so if you're drowning, right, it's one thing to know that the lifeguard can save you. It's another thing to call on his name, right? I believe that guy could save me. Guess what? But when you call out, you're trusting that that's the person that's going to save you, that, that guy or gal. That lifeguard's going to come and get, get you. He's going to make sure that you do not drown. The one thing uh, to know, that it's one thing to know that Jesus can save you from death and hell. It's another thing to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead and gets saved, right? That's the difference between growing up in a Christian environment and thinking, well, I'm saved just because I know the language and coming to that point in your life when you're like, you know what? I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I'm going to drown in a, in a sea of sin if I don't call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And so I'm looking for, I don't have it. I forgot my prop this morning, so I'm going to use a four-legged stool. So um, I meant to get the three. I don't know if we have any three-legged stools, right? But if we do, pretend this has three instead of four legs, right? And so, right, I can believe that this stool can hold me. But it's not until I, I believe in it. I mean, it can do it. I have all, all faith in it. I really do. I don't think it's going to break. Wouldn't it be embarrassing if it did? <laughs> and then, <clears throat> but when I sit down on it, of course, now I believe on it, right? I'm sitting on it. I have put my faith in it and on it. I am resting on this stool. And so John has done a great job throughout the, the, this, this book of helping us understand that, that Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And when you put your faith in Christ, man, you are, you are backed by the Godhead. You don't need the Federal Reserve. You don't need the weight of the government. <clears throat> You've got God. That's all you need. And, uh, and your salvation is secure. And so there's only one name that can give you that security. There's only one name that can save you and give you assurance of eternal life. And many of you know the passage from Acts 4.12. It says, neither is there salvation in any other. Right? It's, it's not Jesus plus. Right? It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus alone. Right? For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves us. And so no other name will suffice. Allah isn't Jesus, therefore he's not God. You can't be saved in his name. Buddha is dead, and he's never transcended, by the way. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The church can't save you. Oh, that's, oh, wait a minute, you're, you're getting on the, yeah, the church, even membership in the church can't save you. That doesn't save you. Getting sprinkled, getting baptized, and being a member of a church, whatever uh, theology you have about baptism, uh, the only baptism that has any bearing on your salvation uh, in this dispensation, is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which occurs the moment you get saved. Other than that, if you're trusting water baptism, you're trusting anything for, for salvation, you're in trouble. You need to back up and go to, to, to the start of the message and start understanding how you really get saved. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can save you. It's His name. And when you call upon His name out of faith, it's supernatural. It beats technology. It beats everything in this world. Supernaturally, God comes in you. I was just visiting with Luke Fleshman about this this week, about how God is so far ahead of technology. He literally just comes through time and space, and wham, he enters your body. And he cuts away your soul, spiritual circumcision. The Bible talks about that. And, and man, you are a new creature in Christ, just like that. It doesn't appear that way yet, uh, but that's why we're viral. That's why we're dangerous. Because you just don't know when we're going to strike, right? So we have this message. And when someone receives it, it changes them from the inside out. 
They become a new creature in Christ. And all of a sudden, the light comes on, literally, spiritually. Not just like John Belushi, you know, back in the day in that, what was that movie? He flipped down the aisle and saw the light. Blues Brothers. I probably shouldn't say that. That wasn't a good movie, but I was a kid. Anyway, you know, the guy sees the light. I see the light. You know, that was all funny and and everything. But in a true sense, when someone gets saved, they truly see the light. Not only do they see the light, they become the light. Whether they understand that or not, it is true. There's a spiritual illumination that occurs for anyone that gets saved. And so, and it starts to affect, it affects, not starts, it affects everything in our life. So Jesus is the, the one and only mediator, Paul said to his disciple Timothy. He says, there's only one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. Just to make sure that we understand, this man, he was all man. He's also the Christ. He's Messiah. He's Jesus. He's also the mediator uh, between God and man. He is everything. He's our, as John said, he's our propitiation in chapter 2, right? He is, the, he is our advocate, and he is everything that we need to be saved. So today, you're, you either know you are saved or you don't based on what you believe, and what you believe needs to be based upon what the Bible says, and that's how you can have confidence in eternal life. That's how you can have confidence in salvation. So the Word uh, gives us the confidence in our salvation, now, for many of you, you're like, okay, Brian, I already knew that before you started. Well, praise God. Then you can say, amen, and uh, you are saved, and you are confident in what the Word of God says. But it's not just about that, because not all men are saved. And so John transitions from our confidence, the confidence that we have, and he goes on in the text, and, and, and the Word gives us confidence in our intercession. He starts talking about praying in chapter 5, back in our text in 1 John chapter 5, all of a sudden he wants to get into our prayer life in verse 14 he says and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hear us and if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him so god wants us to have assurance of our salvation <coughs> so we have confidence in our intercession he wants to have he wants us to have assurance of our salvation so we have confidence in our intercession. Intercession's a big deal. Now, that's a big word. It's not to be confused with concession. It's intercession, right? So we're not getting anything at the snack bar. But this is the deal. Intercession is what you do when you pray. You intercede, right? And, and so that's what he's talking about, going to the Lord for petitions. And so it's interesting that it's not about what you want. Now, this is you could use this and kind of rest it out of its context and say, oh, Name it, claim it. Anything I ask is what I'm going to get. The problem is, he says, but it's according to my will. And this Bible, by the way, is God's will and testament. So you you have to to frame your your intercession based upon the will of God. And so it's not a name and claim it. But also, in addition to that, just common sense reading of the word of God, you can see by the context as you continue to read that he is talking about interceding for others. He talks about a sin... Uh, some sins, some uh, you can pray for. There's these sins unto death. Don't pray for those and all that. I'll get into that in just a moment. But he's really not totally focusing on everything that we want <clears throat> in regard to our needs. He's talking about praying for others, intercessory prayer, uh, primarily. There's nothing wrong with praying for your own needs, uh, so I'm not minimizing that. <clears throat> but uh, that's taken care for care of. You pray according to God's will. Well, guess what? God will answer you. I'll get to that a little bit in a moment as well. So as we look at the text, let's just look over this one more time. And this is the, there's the word confidence in verse 14, that we have in him, right? Our confidence is in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, which is the word of God, he heareth us. <clears throat> do you want to know that your prayers get past the ceiling? I know I do. You don't want to just be praying, oh, I'm talking to myself out loud, no, you're entering an audience. You're entering the third, third heaven. How do you know that when you're praying the will of God? You really know God's hearing your prayer when you're praying his word back to him. And some of our ABFs, I think in Randy's, uh, every week they just take a passage of scripture and they pray it back to God. That's powerful. And uh, that kind of intercessory prayer is, is, is incredible. So God wants and needs us to engage in the, pre- I call it the priestly work. We are kings and priests, so we need to be engaged in the priestly work of intercessory prayer for others. Today, right now, uh, we have a team flying to Oaxaca, Mexico. I mean, as, as we speak, they were here this morning. 
took the van, went to the airport. I think they flew out at 5. I got, I got a text at 5.30. We're in the air. No, they were just getting ready to get in the air. So they weren't really in the air, FFA. So uh, but they were getting ready to get in the air. They're, they're off. And so we have a team of people traveling right now to Oaxaca to minister the gospel. So what should we be doing? Talk about it. No, yeah, we should talk about it. That's a good thing. But more important than talking to each other about it, we need to talk to God about it. Right? We need to intercede and say, Lord, protect them, keep them. Lord, take care of their families that are left behind. You got Luke and or Brenda without Luke. And you have you have the kids, right? The, a lot of them have left their children. And you have you, so be with be with uh, uh, the folks on the ground. Be with Joe Hendricksman and and just pray that, that their investment is not in vain, that the devil doesn't rob uh, when you're engaged in these spiritual type of things, it could change, and it will change people's lives. Not just the people going, it'll change the people on the ground. There'll be uh, both adults and children that will likely come to Christ. I mean, there's all kinds of eternal weight when you take a trip like this. We ought to be praying about it. We ought to be serious about it. We ought to be interceding. That's intercessory prayer, praying God's will. We know that, that God is not willing that any should perish, and we want to see people led into God's perfect will, into his word. So we should be praying about that. We know God hears our prayers when we ask according to his will, right? He has ears and he can hear, right? God is a, is a God, he's not like an idol that is dumb and deaf. God can hear our prayers. And so we can ask anything according to his will and expect God to hear us. Jesus modeled that for us, right? In Luke twenty two forty two, when he said, uh, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What did Jesus do? He modeled for us yielding his will <coughs> to, the, to the will of the Father. There's times in our lives where we want something, and God may say yes, and he may say no, but we always say, well, Lord, whatever you want, whatever whatever's going to satisfy you and the will of God, the word of God, what is it that you need to get accomplished, Lord? And Jesus modeled that in every aspect of his life, even, of course, in his death. The will of God is the word of God applied in proper context. It's simply just the Bible principle of context applied in our prayer life. We cannot pray effectively if we don't know God's will. <clears throat> You're kind of throwing darts at the board. I hope God hears this. Well, how can you know if God hears it? Well, you can pray according to God's will. You need to learn the word of God. That's one of the reasons that discipleship is so important in our church. Because it's all about teaching us the basics of the will of God, giving us a framework for God's will so that we can understand how to pray, right, for salvation, for the, the will of God in other people's lives, for our own lives. What is it, God, that you want out of my life? And we can line it up with God's will. We don't always get what we want, but we do pray that as we go through life, we get what glorifies God, and God is glorified. Even in, in everything, right, we give thanks, and for everything. Thanksgiving is a great time to, to kind of remember those principles, isn't it? And so when we pray for, for God's will to be accomplished, it benefits us both in time, but ultimately in eternity. I mean, the things that we're, we're engaging in today, oftentimes many Christians, their, their sight is just vertical. I mean, horizontal, forgive me, I should have said vertical, it, or I should have said horizontal. Their sight is just horizontal. <clears throat> they, they just don't, they don't see the impact of what is going on around. So what we're engaged in, it's just another Sunday, it's just another, it's just another this, it's just another day at the job, it's another day at school, it's another this. No, it's none of it is just another. Since the moment you got saved to the time you finished this race, everything you do is affecting eternity. And Satan knows it. We're the idiot sticks that miss it. And that's what the Bible teaches us, right? No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Is that not what the Bible says, right? Our life is to be lived for who? The Lord, right? It isn't to be lived for ourselves. Wake up, America, right? It's lived for the Lord. So that's what really ultimately matters. That then drives our prayer life. Oh, Lord, it drives my prayer life. How can you use me? Don't you get grieved? The Spirit get, it grieves us sometimes because we know that we're not engaging with people the way God wants. We're not engaging our family the way God wants. Why? Because we know that God's wanting to get traction out of our life. He's wanting to make this life count for something, not just that big pearly white smile guy down in Texas, you know, your best life now. No, forget your best life now. My best life now that affects eternity, right? It may, be my, it may not work out very good on this side, but as long as it works out good in eternity and I'm doing God's will, then hallelujah to you. How many missionaries do we know? They've given up a lot to, to go minister. Uh, man, it takes the investment of their life 
to get some traction in a foreign land or in a ministry or what have you. And they're doing that faithfully day in and day out. Why? Because it's really great for them and their family? No, because they believe that the investment is going to count in eternity. Why do they do that? Because they believe God's will. When God said, go ye therefore, they took it so serious, they put their whole life, they took all the chips on the table and said, I'm going all in. And God will bless that, whether you see it on this side of eternity or not. I mean, that kind of a sacrifice, God's going to bless. So we know God hears our prayers when we ask according to his will. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen when we want it to. I was going to read Daniel 9, 20 through 23, but for time's sake, I'm just going to mention that. Back in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, man, he's praying, <clears throat> and, uh, and he ain't hearing nothing. So he's praying some more. He's like, man, I was reading in, in the prophets, and I see that 70 years is determined upon Israel, and then it looks like we're going to be able to go back, and I want to know more about that. When is Messiah coming? There's these prophecies about the second coming of Christ. When's that going to happen? All right, and he's praying. And you know what? <clears throat> Breakfast goes by, and he's praying some more, and lunch goes by. Next thing you know, it's the evening. And all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and taps him, Hey, Daniel, I'm here. <clears throat> the moment you prayed, we heard it. But we had some things going on. The moment you prayed, we heard what was going on. I'm paraphrasing. At the beginning of thy supplication is what Daniel 9.23 says, and the commandment came forth, I am come to show thee. As soon as, as, soon as it was said, as soon as you prayed it, I was dispatched to come and answer. We learn later that in, the, in chapter 10 that, that especially before the indwelling Holy Ghost, like right now, I just make the call. I'm in heaven. I, got it, I'm in, I mean, we're seated together in heavenly places. The Spirit in me, I have the mind of the Spirit. I mean, I have a direct connect. But in the Old Testament, man, these guys were praying, and it, it, there was some warfare going on. Of course, especially when you're dealing with the times of the Gentiles and the rest of human history. That was one prayer that, did, that, the, the, that the forces of hell did not want to get answered. But you know what? God got through. And uh, Gabriel says, hey, Daniel, I heard you. We heard you. The Father heard. It just took me a minute to get here, right? It took, me, it took us a minute to, to answer you. In Daniel 9, it's clear that the prayer is heard immediately, but the response was slightly delayed. <clears throat> of course, in Daniel chapter 10, there's, there's, an, there's also a vision that's given and it's three full weeks before he can put fully grasp hold of what that vision's all about. It troubled him. He was upset about it. And eventually he was able to learn the answer. My point, why do I bring up Daniel and all that Old Testament prophecy stuff? Because just simply to say, you don't always get what you want when you want it. Right? Sometimes you pray and the answer doesn't come when you want it. Right? You have to wait upon the Lord. Don't take it into your own hands. Uh, we know God answers prayer not only hears him, right? He's not just a, a hearer of the prayer. He is an answer. Sometimes God says yes. This is practical. Sometimes he says yes, and he blows you away. In Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 19, Peter's in prison. He's, he's, a, he's I mean, the, the church is praying at John Mark's house, and uh, <clears throat> they're, they're uh, Peter's in prison, and, and the Lord comes and smites him, says, wake up, Peter, and he's sleeping hard. And, uh, and he takes him out of jail, and he goes out, out of, the, out of the prison, he gets to the house where they're praying for him. He knocks on the door, and this little gal, Rhoda, comes to the door. She's so excited. Peter's at the door. They're still in the house praying. I mean, they don't even know their prayer's been answered. I mean, God said, the answer to your prayer is, yes! And they're like, oh, no, Peter's not out there. You've seen a, you've seen a that's just an angel, right? You've just seen an aberrate. No, that's not really Peter. And Peter's like, hey, guys, could you let me in? I'm here. How did that happen? God answered prayer. You ever have that happen? You pray for something, and you think, God's not going to do that, and then he does it. I've, done, I've had that happen so many times here. Like, I'll think, somebody, I'll think God will just put someone on my heart, whoever, and I'll be like, Lord, I haven't seen them, and you name the date, a year, two years, whatever, six months. Man, Lord, I'm just praying, I'm just praying for them. It'd be cool if they showed up today, and I can't tell you how many times. It's so convicting, because I'm like, I should be doing this every Sunday. Maybe the chairs are empty, because I haven't been interceding enough. Uh, but I, I come to church, and boom, they're, they're, they're at church. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just like in Acts. I'm like, wow, Lord, I didn't actually expect you to answer my prayer. And so it's amazing how God does that. And so God is just good like that. He answers. Sometimes he just says, yes, sure, no problem. I remember our daughter. I'll never forget that this is one of those yes prayers that blew me away. 
So uh, I remember I walked out on the porch one day, and my son's getting a little older, and I walk out on the porch, and I'm like, Lord, we need a daughter. Or a daughter. I didn't say a daughter. I said, Lord, we just need it. We need a, my son needs a sibling. That's all. I'm just like, Lord, I, I'm convicted about this. So you, I just, you know, I don't know how that can happen. And I didn't. And man, it was like the same day or week or something, the opportunity for Elizabeth came. I was like, whoa. So I knew. And it wasn't actually initially, it was just drama. I won't get into all the drama of it, but to get her was just God. He just did it. You know, he took everything and just like parted the waters like the Red Sea to make everything happen. And it was like, isn't it's it's crazy. I mean, I hope you have I hope you have a prayer life where you can look back. And by the way, one of the things I have been disobedient in, I gotta confess my fault to you. When I got saved and Earl Cross discipled me, he said, Brian, and he was very firm on this, and I was very I've been very rebellious. (laughs) He says, Brian, keep a journal of all the answered prayers. And so I've been journaling them in my heart. But I wish I had taken his advice and written down every time God answered a prayer. Man, that is so incredible when he says yes. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He's so good. So I'm praying right now. I'm praying right now for some saints to be set free from the bondage of sin. And man, I hope that I'm so surprised when they come walking through the door and that they're free from the bondage of sin. The trains are coming. <laughs> I hear that train are coming, coming around the bend. Oh, that's a different thing. Okay, so sometimes God says, not does God only say yes, but he also says no, no. So Paul learned that God uh, said no from time to time. In 2 Corinthians 12, this is what Paul said, and, and that God's, God's no was the best. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. And that's not like going to the buffet. That's the, to beat me up, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. I said, Lord, right? He says, I asked him three times that it would leave, that God would, would relieve me of this burden. And... You know what, verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And Paul can, there's a lot to learn in that verse, isn't there? When God says no, you know what we should do? We should stomp like children. We should cry out. We should tell everybody that God is mean to us. No, that's exactly what we shouldn't do. We should grow up and realize that Daddy does know best. And Paul was able to discern that, you know what? If you answered my prayer the way I wanted, it would not be good for me. So therefore, I'm happy. I'm not only happy, I'm willing to suffer whatever you want to suffer because I know it's not only best for me, it's best for you. Well, that's a mature prayer, isn't it? May we grow up and get into that kind of prayer life. And that's the kind of prayer life we need. Sometimes God says no, and we don't only just have to deal with it. We ought to be thankful for it. You know, like that old song, I thank God for unanswered prayers. That's good. You should. There's some unanswered prayers. You should say, thank God you didn't answer those prayers. Sometimes God says, not right now, or wait. He says, just wait a little bit. Not right now. Just wait. Romans 10, <clears throat> Romans 1, he, uh, Paul says, making requests uh, if by any means... Uh, now at length I may have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He's like, I've been praying a lot about this, and I hope I get the answer I want. He, he doesn't know. He's still praying. He's writing this epistle. He's praying that God will let him, let him have some liberty. Romans or Revelation 6.10, the Bible says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? These are dealing with tribulation martyrs. They're like, Lord, how long before you execute justice and judgment? And that's a legitimate prayer. God's not rebuking anybody for asking those prayers. There's people suffering. Man, I thought the same thing. I, I, look, I watched some of those martyrs when ISIS was uh, martyring Christians. I'd watch some of those videos, see these, these daddies that watch their families get killed. They're the last to be killed, and they're crucified. And these, these, these guys are so wicked. I'm just like, Lord, how long before the 50 calibers show up? And I'm not even kidding. 
But I'm like, oh, Lord, they need to get saved. You know, you get in that, con- that, 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 that conflict between the, what needs to happen for God's will and the suffering of these saints. And you know what? God's, there's some of that stuff that you just have to leave in God's hands. It's way too high for me. I can't even process it. I just have to say, Lord, you do what's best. Oh, God, help your people. Make sure I'm doing my part in praying. Point D, we do know how to pray, by the way. In John 5, 16, he says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye shall pray for it. So, you know, he's given instructions on how to pray. I'm going to get into this, this, uh, this uh, information about sins unto death and all that in just a moment. But before I jump into that, let me just give you something practical that you can use right now. And that's this, this acronym PUSH. How many of you have heard this before? Pray until something happens? Man, I think I stole that from Brian Clark, but I'm not sure. But uh, that is a great, that is, that is good. <clears throat> or is that an acrostic? I don't know. I call that an acronym. But anyway, put pray until something happens happens right there's times you just need to keep praying like in romans 1 10 paul just kept praying kept praying keep praying until god gives you a yes a no or a hang on and keep praying and keep going after it and so make sure that you do that <clears throat> you know i prayed for my cousins one time when i was a young christian i, I prayed so much I, I gave up to be honest with you i just gave up you know what happened every one of the cousins i prayed for got saved and, and two of them came to my church without me doing anything other than praying. I was like, whoa. Like, I'm shocked. God actually answered prayer. And, uh, and uh, I was fervent. I was praying, I mean, daily. I'm like, man, pray for these cousins, this cousin, this cousin, their situations, and just one by one, they got saved. And, and by the way, the two of the three are still plugging away in church to this day. Praise God. And so that's an awesome so, so what is John talking about when he tells us to pray for those? Let's get into the text a little bit because this is going to make us a little crazy. Uh, you know, pray for these that, are, that have uh, sinned unto, not, not praying for those that have sinned unto death and praying for these that have not sinned unto death. What is all that about? Well, you're asking good questions. So he's not talking, first of all, he's not talking about purgatory. <clears throat> uh, and this is not talking about venial and non-venial sins, which venial means uh, pardonable sins in Latin. And so the Roman Catholic Church teaches that there are sins that you can work or pay off which are forgivable, and there are sins that you cannot pay off which are, not, which are called non-venial sins. So sin unto death is referring to, <clears throat> there are sins unto death. In the Old Testament standard, you can see them. I listed them for you on that sheet. Uh, murder, kidnapping, death, dishonoring parents. Man, that's, hey, you kids, you're lucky we're not living in the Old Testament. Uh, idolatry, sorcery, false prophecy, blasphemy, profaning, adultery, rape, lying about sexual purity, uh, sexual relationships with the same sex, a.k.a. homosexuality, uh, bestiality, incestuous marriage, and, uh, and or sexual activity. All that's covered in the verses listed there. I'm not going to take a lot of time on that. But in the Old Testament, <clears throat> there were sins <clears throat> unto death. Right? You, you don't have to pray about it. That's, 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 it, that's just where it's at. Um, <clears throat> in the New Testament, we understand that Jesus paid for our sin. And they're all contributed to his death because his standard for righteousness is perfection. There's a passage in Matthew 12, 31 that does say there is a sin that can't be forgiven. It's called blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Matthew 12, 31 says, Wherefore I send to you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, what is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? Well, those are still great questions to ask. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is what the leadership of Israel was doing for the most part in the Gospels <clears throat> when they were denying that Jesus was the Christ. Simply put, one sin uh, that, you, that will send every man everywhere to hell is to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Once someone has passed, uh, there is no need to pray for them, uh, by the way. So this pa- you can't pray someone out of purgatory because there is no such thing as purgatory. You can't get them out of hell. Read Romans or uh, Luke 16. So this passage, however, is speaking about uh, is not, by the way, I should say, speaking about a lost person. That's what's interesting. It's very careful to say, if a brother sin a sin that is not unto death. A brother cannot lose his salvation, but he can lose, they can lose their life if they continue in sin. Paul said in Romans 6, 1 through 2, that, that should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We shouldn't be actively living in sin. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 through 30, and we just touched on this a few weeks ago 
at the Lord's Supper, Paul makes it clear that there's a time when a Christian is so rebellious and disobedient that, that you not only remove them, but they, they risk the chance of dying if they do not repent. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So when a believer in Christ is so inconsiderate of the body of Christ and so rebellious against God the Father that they just pretend like everything's okay while they continue in sin, that grace may abound, God forbid, they may not even realize it, but they're taking their life literally into their own hands. God may just say, that's enough of you. I'm bringing you out because I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Your time is done. And that happens. <clears throat> and so no need to pray for that. That's just God's judgment. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Christians, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. So John was in Jerusalem, and he witnessed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> God took, he did not appreciate them lying uh, to the Holy Ghost. They pretended that they were giving a gift to the church like, uh, like Barnabas had done, that they had sold this land and they'd given all their profits to the church, which they didn't have to, but they pretended like they were. They were lying to God and, uh, and to the church as well. And so the Holy Ghost called them out on it. John was, was around. And you know what God did in one day? He took them home. He made an example out of them. And uh, that was it for them. <clears throat> so God reserves the right to discipline his children the way he chooses. Even in the New Testament, some sleep. This passage in, in uh, 1 John 5.16 applies uh, in our dispensation to those who God has judged as unfaithful and taken home. But John says you don't need to pray for those who commit sin unto death. So if we sense a brother is taken <clears throat> in sin, insincere and unwilling to repent, really this is more of a devotional application, there is a point where you are free to allow them to face God's judgment, even if it be death. In Jeremiah 7, uh, in verse 16, the prophet was told by God, Therefore pray not for this people, neither lift up uh, or cry <clears throat> nor, pray for, nor pray for them, neither make intercession for me, for I will not hear them. There comes a point where you just have to turn judgment over to God. This passage in 1 John 5, 16 is a very clear doctrinal, has a very clear doctrinal meaning in the, in the coming tribulation period. After the catch away, catching away of the church, which is called the rapture, the tribulation saints are commanded to endure to the end to be saved, according to Matthew 24, 13. And if they take the mark of the beast, they will have blasphemed God, and there will be no room for repentance. Those who deny Christ and choose to identify with Antichrist find themselves blaspheming God, sinning a sin unto death. And John says, don't pray for them, for they are manifesting their judgment even before they die physically. Revelation 14, 9 through 11 says this, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in, their, in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, or worship the beast, <coughs> uh, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So, in the tribulation period, it will become evident that there will be people that will have made their decision. There is no more need to pray for them because the the, the die has been cast. They have chosen the antichrist over Christ. Particularly, he's he's talking John now to his brothers, and especially for Jews in the tribulation, <coughs> uh, they will have they will be condemned. If they follow Antichrist. So in the coming tribulation period, well, who follow Antichrist will be condemned, as the text says. But in the coming tribulation period, to receive the mark of the beast is to deny Jesus is the Son of God, and it is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. So taking a mark is a sin. Uh, the mark is a sin unto death. All right, so that's a lot right there. I just gave you a lot to think about. So, but this is about assurance. <clears throat> and so the Word gives us confidence in our salvation. The Word gives us this incredible uh, confidence in our intercession, right? It gives us assurance of our salvation, confidence in our intercession, and then the Word gives us confidence in our sanctification. So as we wrap up the chapter, we see in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, <clears throat> and there's a sin not unto death. So the Word gives us confidence in our sanctification. The Word of God defines sin so we can understand sanctification. In 1 John five seventeen, the Bible very clearly says all not some, but all unrighteousness is sin. 
and there's a sin not unto death. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. <clears throat> and I love the way these are just so succinctly put. These have helped me out in my Christian life uh, from the first time I've, I've memorized them or heard them or remembered them. That if you want to know, um, you know what is sin, all unrighteousness is sin. Boom. Right? It, it, it's all sin. It, it lines up with Romans uh, 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you think there's some righteousness in your own, of your own that's going to merit salvation, you are, whoa, you are just completely deluded. You are completely deluded. There's no way. The only way to get saved is through the righteousness of Christ. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for, the trans, for sin is the transgression of the law. If you think that Jesus Christ transgressed the law, then he is not God. You need to find another Savior because he's not enough. But he is enough because he is the only one who's fulfilled the law. Not only did he write the law, not only did he speak the law, not only did Moses record the law, but Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law. He is the lawgiver. He is Shiloh, but he's also the one who has fulfilled it and kept it so that we can be saved. The word of God defines sin, though in a practical sense, so we can avoid it. 1 John five eighteen. we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. We understand that positionally. We're as good as saved. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. From day to day, you're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's so important that we understand that God keeps us, right? He gives us an understanding of what sin is. He gives us the boundaries so we do not tangle with the adversary, that we are victorious against the adversary. <clears throat> in 1 John chapter 3, several weeks ago, we took a lot of time and talked about positional sanctification versus practical you have any questions, you need to go back and listen to that. But we understand from God's perspective that all our sin is under the blood, and we practically allow sin to reign in our flesh when we give place unto the devil. Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 6. Practical sanctification protects us from the influence of the wicked one. And today, as John has already made clear, the spirit of Antichrist is already at work, and we dishonor God in our mind and our heart. And when we allow the enemy to begin to erode our faith and thereby our resolve to walk in the light and stand like, stand on the truth. Not in it, on it. Stand on the truth. Right? Many Christians lose their confidence in the Lord today, not because the Word of God has failed, but because they have failed to love the Word. The Word of God does not fail. But when we fail to love the Word, when we, when we, when we start to filter all this life through our own intellect, through our own mindset, and we don't run it through the Word of God, you're going to all of a sudden start having a problem with God. And the devil's going to be whispering in your ear, and you're going to be caught in the Garden of Eden, just like Eve and, and Adam, wondering, yea, hath God said, question everything that God said. So to be clear, John reminds us that the whole world lieth in wickedness, in verse 19. The whole world, while it is a true statement, <clears throat> and will continue to be so until the catching away of the church, John's words will be particularly uh, meaningful in the tribulation as Jews who literally uh, will have to discern the wicked one, who is the Antichrist, from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we can remember from Genesis 19 what happened to a region that was wholly given over to wickedness. That region and its inhabitants were destroyed with fire and brimstone. And now there's a dead sea sitting at that location. In Genesis 6, Noah and his family kept themselves from wickedness, and the whole entire world around them perished. But yet, they were saved. What did they do? They sanctified themselves. They set themselves apart from the world through the word of God. They believed God's word, and it was counted to them for righteousness. That's what we have to do in these last days, especially before the catching away of the church. And we understand that there is judgment to those who don't. Now, listen to me carefully. We're talking about the assurance of eternal life, and you can have that fully and freely today. But for those who reject the goodness of God, the truth and the love of God's word today, they will fall right on into what this is talking about. <clears throat> and that wicked one, the Antichrist system, not only the system, but the wicked one himself will demand worship in the, in the coming tribulation. And he will get it from those who reject the gospel today. You say, Brian, how do you know that? Because the word of God tells me that. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that capital W, wicked, be revealed. Who is that wicked? That's the Antichrist. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him and him whose coming is after the working of Satan, mid-trib, the beast comes in, with all power and signs and lying wonders, 
and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Here it is. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Beloved, the gospel we preach, the prayers we offer, the love that we say we have for God has to be displayed to people because we are are on the clock right now. If the Lord comes back today, if the Lord comes back 10 days from now, 10 years from now, uh, 100 years from now, it doesn't really matter. The bottom line is our job is to be about the business of making sure people know that God loves them. And you can't do that apart from loving God's word and believing God's word and understanding what time it is. Wake up, right? Church, I know you're awake. I know you're awake, but man, we got to wake up. This coming week, Pat's going to start a practical evangelism class on Wednesday night. Why do we need to have a practical evangelism class? Because we're not being evangelists like we need to be. We shouldn't need a class. We should be doing it because that's what saved people do is tell other people about Jesus. And I'm as guilty as you guys, so I'm just saying. We're on the clock. Time is short. Oh, I got all the confidence in the world that I'm going to heaven. Great. I do. But what about everyone else? Well, I I might get rejected. Who cares? When we get to heaven, it's going to, at least you tried. You know, you are going to watch people get cast into the lake of fire. People you know today will be cast in the lake of fire. The only question I got to ask myself is that I give them every opportunity to know the love of God. If they reject it, it's on them. There's a point where we'll just let God do what God does and they'll deal with God. But in the meantime, let's be an advocate. Let's be people that get in the way of God's wrath and help people by sharing the love of God. Let's say, excuse me, before you get torched, let me, let me get in the way and share with you how much God loves you. He doesn't really want that to happen. He's not willing that, it's not his will. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He demonstrated on the cross. I know the children in Africa are starving. I know that there's things wrong in the world. I know all that. That does not mean he's bad. That means we're bad. There is a sin problem on the planet. Let's study the Bible together. Let's look at what God says. Let's not blame God. He's the only one that wants to save us. We, we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Let's, put our, not, not, let's not just believe in him. Let's believe on him. Right? Let's, let's rest on him. Okay, I'm getting out of line and I'm over time. So we should, we should know the word like John knew the word. Let's wrap this up. The last two verses. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. That's so beautiful. John knows him really well, but he wants us to know him really well. And we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. It's true, 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 true. And then the last thing he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen, so be it. So we should know the love of God as intimately as John because we handle the word of God. We know it is true. We have the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost living in us. We should be true because he is true and we should be sharing the truth with every person we can. And lastly, he reminds us not to make the same mistakes as Israel. Oh boy, how we're prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. John says, little children, hearkening back to what he said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, my little children, I write unto you that ye sin not. Man, it's not enough to know God. We've got to love God. Enough to set our lives apart for his use. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And we all know what tripped up Israel was idols. The idols that we, we have today are a little different. Their status, their education, their employment, their money, their possessions, their smartphones, which are really dumb, and a lot of other things. But remember, the mistakes of the children of Israel don't have to be repeated in our lives. Because we don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and find out that we were thinking that we were rich and increase with goods, and only to find out that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. So what do we need to do? We need to keep ourselves pure. We need to sanctify ourselves. We need to understand what sin is, and we need to ask God for the grace to avoid it, because that is his will. We need to make sure we're interceding, like God wants us to. We need to be serious about prayer. 
And you know what? If you need encouragement, get a hold of Bobby. She's got her prayer wall back up. She's going. Come on Sunday night. We pray. I mean, we literally pray. We don't just say, here's the list. Let's pray. I mean, we literally get together and pray together on Sunday night. If you need help on how to pray, come and come and just join us. We'll push together. But most importantly, you better know that you're saved. You better know, and you better know how you know. You need to have that assurance of eternal life. And I pray you're confident in your salvation, and it causes us to intercede in prayer for the, and, and our sanctification honors and glorifies God for all of eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we conclude at this moment, I pray, God, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Or with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. As I look around the sanctuary, is there anyone in this room today that would say, Brian, from the very beginning, I'm not really sure if I'm saved. And I want to have that, I want to have that assurance of salvation. Well, guess what? You can have it. If you're like, Brian, I want that assurance. I want to get that today. Just simply raise your hand where you are. I'll not embarrass you. I, I would never do that. 